welcome to uh, welcome to Bospacia. Uh, I want to thank uh, all of you for coming out on this uh, beautiful Saturday afternoon, uh, and I want to thank uh, Asian Society and all of the members of uh, that have made Asia Contemporary Art Week possible. Uh, to have uh, this event that gathers together uh, all of us like-minded people on such beautiful days to get together and uh, sit in dark rooms and talk about art. Uh, this, uh, this is a, a wonderful uh, opportunity. Uh, as, you, um, as some of you know uh, from uh, your past uh, experiences with Bozpacia, um, Ranbir Kaleka, uh, uh, this is his second solo exhibition at, at Bozpacia. In 2005, uh, he had his first solo exhibition here, and that exhibition was uh, widely uh, acclaimed as uh, one of the uh, best uh, exhibitions in uh, any art gallery in, uh, in New York, both by the New York Times and Village Voice, I think, uh, for the year 2005. It was one of the top five exhibitions of the year um, in any gallery. It was, uh, it was a privilege to work with him then. Uh, it's a privilege to work with him now. Uh, and his, um, his work has been shown at uh, um, many, many places around the world, at various museum exhibitions, at the uh, Venice Biennale in uh, the uh, India uh, Pavilion, um, amongst uh, other artists, uh, many of whom are in this uh, audience. Um, and the, uh, and it, was a, it was really a great um, opportunity to bring uh, this, his groundbreaking mixture of video and painting uh, to uh, to audiences uh, internationally and in New York, that uh, that kind of work, uh, which really is seminal in many ways in media work and video making and painting, uh, is uh, is incredibly exciting and also opens up a whole new uh, avenues of uh, of. Uh, uh, translating and, and relating ideas uh, in painting and in video. And uh, all of that new groundbreaking type of work requires some contextualization and explanation uh, to us mere mortals that don't do this kind of thing and, uh, and only observe it. Uh, and for that translation and, uh, and interpretation and explanation, there's no one better than Barbara London. Uh, and Barbara is a, a curator of media and video at the Museum of Modern Art in New York and really uh, throughout her career has uh, uh, established herself and is acclaimed uh, internationally as uh, one of the uh, leading figures uh, in the field uh, from a um, curatorial and uh, editorial and writing perspective. And so it's a, uh, it's a real privilege uh, to be able to um, uh, host a conversation between Barbara London and Ranbir Kaleka. Thank you very much. I really hope I'm going to... I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, thrilled, actually, because many friends and colleagues are in the audience and we're with an outstanding artist whose extraordinary work is in front of us. Um, I first saw Rambeer's work in Venice at the um, Icon Pavilion, um, and it was very exciting, and then saw the work here at Bospecia. So I was kind of intrigued that you are, of course, an artist, and it was only nine years ago that you started to work adding video, and you said the other day 
it's just one of your tools. Um, yes. you're, you, yes. you work, um, and I, you gave a little anecdote that a professor when you were in London was saying painting, you could think of it as a piano, but what you do, you have a full orchestra at your <laughs> fingertips. Um, and I'm, I hope everybody has seen the show because on this side is Man Threading a Needle, and I believe that's the first work that you did with yeah. video. Yes. And you keep changing. So this time I come and it looks like you have a nice um, frame. Hmm. So I'm looking at a window. Um, yes. What led you to just add that? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, with, uh, there are two pieces of the kind, which are earlier ones, and I have worked a little more on them. Or not, like, these are not, I don't see them as reworkings. I do see them as new works. Uh, but they do emerge from the first works. The, the, how I make an image, or arrive at an image, is, uh, I think, or an event comes to me, and that event is of a nature which, uh, which has a potency, uh, which allows you to radially reach out to, to, to various possible readings of the work. So, and then, once the work is separate from me, I thought, well, I could indulge myself. I could also take the liberty of... Uh, inventing or imagining uh, a life or one of the uh, possible readings or take one of the parts where I could give uh, uh, some biographical uh, points uh, to invent a life for this, uh, for this person, for this character. And there could have been many possible uh, inventions for what he could be, many possible readings. So uh, it is uh, one possible uh, reading of the work from from me, which still remains open-ended, uh, but it's it's uh, one of the imaginings uh, of the many possible imaginings uh, when relating to the work. When I look, um, there's such a stillness, and I think a little bit of cinema, like some of us know uh, Chris Marker's La Jetée, which is a series of stills, and there's only one moment of motion when the woman's eye blinks in mm -hmm. this hour-long film. So mm -hmm. your man, he's painted this figure, he's painted, and then he also has this wonderful motion. Mm -hmm. And you coming out of painting... Um, we were talking the other day about like Piero della Francesco and the way mm -hmm. there's local color. Color is the blue is right there, mm -hmm. or miniature. Um. Yes, yes. I, I do like to. If, if if you know, a lot of my paintings were very very busy and very peopled. But what I do like very much to do, and this is how I also relate to people, and possibly how I'm more comfortable talking to one person rather than you know, many people in a group, uh, is that I imagine a personal space, uh, a personal little world around that character. So, um, sorry, what was the question related to? Well, just thinking of this... Um, yes, yes, yes. 
the, the relationship to painting or the light, the stasis? Yes, yes, yes. So, so for, for me, this was uh, take one character and build a world around it, give him his own personal space. And I think it also uh, comes from how previously in my childhood I spent a lot of time just being by myself in, in a very large house. So the few characters who lived in the house uh, still had a very complete full life for me. But usually there was, in that house there was uh, very little for them to do. So usually they'll be sitting and there'll be very, very little movement. But for me that was a very rich, complete life. So for me, uh, a slight flicker, a little uh, you know, a twitch of the body, uh, for, for me it uh, engages a whole world. And then also uh, for, the, for the kind of work uh, where I wanted to superimpose uh, video on painting, it didn't allow for a great movement inside, so this, this is also what... Uh, uh, you know, suggested that the body should move only or uh, ever so slightly and suggest uh, emotion to the slightest of movement, maybe of the eyes or the eyebrows or uh, you know, if you feel a tickle in your nose, you do something like that or, to, you, or you gulp. Uh, so, so in... Uh, and with such minimal means, I mean, I know it mm. takes you a very long time to make a work yes. because so much thinking goes into it. Mm. But with very minimal means, what you give us, it's very abstract, but yet it's mm. got a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an incredible um, storyteller in a way. You're giving it's, us, mm. it's like a poem, you're giving us um, mm. building blocks. Mm. Yes, I think, again, I keep referring to. To, to my early childhood, uh, maybe to give a bit of a background, which I have spoken about before. Um, my first five years were spent in a village house, which was, uh, it was a feudal house, what they call a haveli. Uh, and uh, I led a, an extremely protected life. I was, it was, in those first five years, there must be very, very few moments that I left home, left that house. And uh, so there was an emptiness, but it seemed a very full emptiness. It, you know, it, was not, it didn't seem like an emptiness, but there was a lot of empty spaces in a large house. Uh, but what it was filled in by, uh, hugely to a, a very great degree, was by uh, stories. Uh, and my everybody, well, these were the people in my house, my father, mother, grandmother, and two uncles who were not married. Then I had one brother, so uh, we were just two boys uh, in this very large house. And uh, but everybody in the house was a terrific storyteller, and each was very, very individual. There was uh, uh, my younger uncle who told stories, uh, which, which in fact, he told just one story, which never ended, and still hasn't ended. Well, he's passed away. <laughs> So he, he, he would just ask, where was I? And he would begin from there. And uh, these, those were stories about um, uh, 
princes, uh, ogres, giants, and so on, and palaces and intrigues. Uh, and uh, once my brother and I thought, you know, we don't now remember where the story began. So shall we ask him what, what, the, what the title of the story is? So we asked him, and he was stumped for a while. He didn't expect that. And then he said, it's, it's called The Mountain of Mirrors. And uh, that still stayed with me. I think because, uh, I, th- I was thinking about it later, because w- once he finished the story, and once we asked, he would ask us, where was I? We would tell him there. So he would imagine that in a mirror, and that, in a way, I thought, would reflect in other mirrors. And he chose one of those mirrors to, to enter and tell another story. And then there was the other uncle who told stories which were extremely short. They, they, they were, they were uh, three-minute stories or four-minute stories. And usually those would be told uh, during siesta time. So because that, the, you know, it, it, we would still be awake, but we needed to have just a short nap, and he would tell the stories. As, uh, whereas with the other uncle, we would nod off. I was still telling the story. And these, were, these stories were very funny, and these were always about animals and, and birds. Uh, and sometimes, and in relationship with, with people as well. Uh, but always it ended uh, with laughter. They were always funny, sometimes sadly funny, because tragic things did, did happen, but they happened in a very funny manner. And then my mother used to tell stories which were... Which, which they were always sad stories. They were, and uh, you know, she didn't realize that both my brother and myself would sob ourselves to sleep, you know, under the, under the sheets. Uh, they were uh, because there are many stories. There's but there's one I, I have often talked about, and which I do uh, remember very, very vividly. Was of to was of a mother bird who builds a nest. And she has little chicks in the nest. And she hears the rumble of a storm far away. And she begins to sing to the storm. The storm don't come. My babies have to sleep. Uh, but this, and so my mother would sing the song of the bird, uh, begging the storm not to come. But the storm comes and the nest is destroyed. So that was tragic. <laughs> uh, and uh, the... Um, and my father would tell stories which, which were always had sort of a moral ending, so we didn't go to him very much <laughs> to listen to his stories. And then my grandmother told stories which were, um, which were religious stories. They were uh, from the, the uh, events from the lives of the Sikh saints, uh, something from Mahabharata, something from... Um, Ramayana and so on. Uh, you want me to go on? I think because other storytellers, uh, there, were, there was always something in a large house which was crumbling or breaking. So there were masons, but they were like family masons. They would, or carpenters, they would stay there. And there was this mason who, who told us stories very, very late uh, after, after he had finished his work. And those were erotic stories. And he would whisper those stories, and they were they were really really like graphic, <laughs> uh, but but very but very very inventive. It's, uh, 
<laughs> so you got an, a real so, education through all of these stories. Yes, I, I, when yeah. I grew up, I thought everybody was a storyteller. Yeah. And uh, hmm. anybody who visited the family, I would say, you know, uh, tell, tell us a story or tell me a story. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. So you mentioned um, the, your mother telling the story with the bird and the nest. So when we yes. have this work, which is right here, yes. um, Man yes. with Cockerel, too. So... Um, yes. Bird is important in there, right? Yes, but but when I use birds or animals, I do not uh, they I do not fix a meaning for them. Right, right, right. They they are they are used for 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 their shape. Uh, they are used for how 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 common they are. You know, like a cockerel is some something. It's not an exotic bird. It's some a, a bird, you know, which. Which is domesticated, and it's in the, so those are the things I would think of, mm-hmm. uh, but but not how uh, they may carry a, a cultural meaning. Uh, no, but it's um, but, but there's a sense of time with this bird because there's a man, yes. and and then the bird is in flight or disappears. Yes, well, yes, well, that's because there was uh, um, a. Um, um, a, a poultry farm in the house as well, and so in the middle of the afternoon, from the first floor, uh, and afternoons in villages in the summer are very, very quiet. There, there's you hear nothing because everybody's sleeping. The animals are sleeping as well. Uh, but at times, you would hear a certain flutter because maybe the cockerel, like the cockerel, would escape. So there would be one of the boys chasing the cockerel. Uh, to put it back into the into the coop, so it was in the silence, this sudden flutter, and I, we would go, my brother and I would go and see the the game of the cockerel uh, being chased around and uh, the cockerel escaping uh, from the arms of this boy. So, um, uh, but then when I was thinking of of this event, this is how I can describe it, a metaf- metaphorical event. So the first thing to, which came to me was the image of uh, a cockerel being chased and the cockerel escaping from the boy's arms. Um, so I guess it's not that important, but mm-hmm. in talking with you, all of the people in these pieces are known to you. So yes. you work with... Um, yes. There's a... Would you call it a comfort level, or yes. there's a dignity that you you have great respect for these people? Hmm. One can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. These all of them are known to me over a period of time. Some going back to 20 years. Some going back to uh, maybe the shortest uh, would be uh, the 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 family in the last work over there. But then, while talking to them, I had known them as well. If, if, if not them directly, then through my cousins or through the family. So again, there was a connection which, which really led right to, to my childhood, to me being in nursery, in fact. It went that far back. Um, and, and then here, this person is a, is a carpenter who worked in the, in the house a long period of time and would sleep there as well. I'm curious about this one that everybody can see, Man with Cockerel 2. Um, 
that started also as a painting. You've, now it's a projection on this plexi, yes. and we can see it from two sides. So yes. how did you do this? You painted it. You've videotaped this gentleman. Um, this, is, uh, this is more... Uh, I, uh, I looked for a surface which would have these qualities, painterly qualities. And, and this, this is uh, a wall which is uh, aged by, by sun and rain. And it seemed like, looking at it, it seemed like as you wet a piece of paper and you take uh, watercolor paper and you take, load your brush with, with, with paint and as you place it on the wet paper, it spreads. So this is what I was reminded of. And then there is, like in scroll painting on one side, there was this vine growing on one side, which is where you would just do a calligraphic movement of the hand to, to make the leaves and the branches. So, so it, it was not painted, but it did emerge from my painterly interests. And I think the sound is turned off, but there is a sound component, right? Yes. And how do you do that? Do you do that at the same time? That's in your mind? Or you do that after? A bit of it's already happening in the mind. It continues. But then when I play it, then, then those sounds come to me. And I use various sources. Uh, there is uh, Arab music in that. There is uh, music from, there's a bit of Chinese. There's from various regions. But it's, 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 uh, it's the movement of things. It's the pacing of the time. It's, uh, I begin to hear those sounds, and they seem, seem just right. And here, sometimes, the, um, to some degree, the sound reflects what's happening, but most of the time, it's disjointed. So I like when the sound would take you outside of, of, of the image and make you imagine other things. And, uh, and I think a lot of the effort not effort, but this is what I'm comfortable with, is where uh, I can take a person outside of the work uh, somehow. And, and, and in a painting, too, um, I do attempt, or when I'm, I think the, the image is ready, the image is ready and complete and potent, when the, uh, the event seems to happen outside the frame of the of the painting. And I'm curious, because I've never asked you, um, I know that painting, you can do it alone. You're in a studio. You can take as long as you need, um, revise, do adjustments. Do you, how do you do, with the video, do you work with a couple of people, or you shoot, you... I just was curious if you yes. have a little production team or what you do. <laughs> I, I do work with friends, friends who have, I have known for a period of time and, they, and who have known my work as well. And, but I do collect a lot of material. Uh, I may have a professional to shoot, then um, I may have some other friend who may not be a professional to shoot as well, uh, and then because I gather material. And then I may even use my little inexpensive camera and, do, and, and shoot myself as well. Mm-hmm. And once I have all the material, then, then, 
then I know I can do things with it. Uh, but I do use, again, a friend who's a professional uh, editor, so he knows what I want. Uh, in fact, I tell them, them what I want, and we can see how we can get closer, how we can approximate, mm -hmm. uh, get closer and closer to it. And I do not mind if, the, if, if they're technically a little flawed, because if, if, they, if they can be evocative, if they can emotionally touch, touch me, because that's, I'm the only test <laughs> at that point, uh, then for me that's right, even if they, are, they don't, do not seem extremely uh, competent. So in your working process, you have said a couple of times that you start with an image. That's yes. very much in your head. Yes. But then you do the research. So yes. are you an accumulator of images as your process or like with this? Well, the first thing, uh, again, what comes to me is, is uh, I keep using the word event. An event comes to me and then uh, I live with that event. Uh, that event could be painted or it could be written into a story if I was a writer. Uh, and sometimes I do write little stories. And, uh, or it could be made into uh, something cinematic. And, but I live with that idea for, for very long. I don't put it down on paper. I don't make a drawing or a sketch. But then, because it has to sustain me over a long period of time, because I take up to a year to finish a painting, uh, or, or to even finish work, uh, take very long. Uh, then once it... Uh, still keeps me going, it's where it has not depleted itself, where it, by which I mean that it's where it still continues to stay slightly unknowable to me, where it doesn't fully reveal itself to me, uh, but so it retains its potency for meaning-making. Then I begin to work on it in making drawings. I make various, various drawings. And once drawings are made, then I may collect reference material. And now... It's possible to go to the internet as well for that. I may take photos, may make uh, you know, drawings from, from life. And then I put all the material away and then begin to work afresh from time to time, opening the drawers to look at what I have accumulated. Uh, this, is, um, this is how I work. And with paintings, it, uh, there, were, there were various ways of working. And one, for a long time, was that once the image is very clear in my head, and that might take a process uh, time of a month or over a month or even longer, then I may, will make a precise drawing. And, but the precise drawing would be of the kind if, the, if I drawn a glass over here, I may feel very uncomfortable and, and there'll be tension in my body, which will be suddenly eased if I moved it this much. So I would rub the entire drawing and move it this much. I, probably it makes no difference to anybody else, but it does make a difference to me. And so I work with this tensions created in the body in moments of relaxation. By relaxation, I mean the, uh, it begins to seem right. And, and what are the various factors which make it seem right? Uh, I do not try to think of, or that, that, that doesn't quite matter to the painting. And then I used to start uh, from one end and paint it. So it's like rolling out, rolling out a carpet. So start, so, or, or rolling down a blind so that it just opens. But that was one of the ways I was working. I was working all other different ways as well. Uh, where I may just start with a brush and uh, 
dab it somewhere and begin, begin from there. But it's lesser so. Um, in talking the other day, um, we talked a little bit about maybe scale. Like these have, um, I wouldn't say they're doors or windows, but mm-hmm. you have a, there's a comfort level with the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said yesterday or so that um, this original family house you base all the proportions on that. <laughs> yes, right. So does that yeah. have to do with, like, yes. human scale? Or? Yes. Uh, well, it, it, this is to do with, because I had really not seen the interior of another house uh, well enough. Uh, and so all the sense of proportion uh, was formed by, by this house, this courtyard, the height of the ceiling, the dimensions of the, of the windows and so on. And uh, so, as I was saying, the first house of a similar kind that I was taken to seemed all wrong. The, it seemed the walls were not right, the dimensions were wrong. It seemed like the house seemed like a mistake. So it took me long to realize that the other proportions which are right as well. But still, I think uh, when I compose an image, be it through the viewfinder or when I draw sketches and drawings, still I think uh, I'm controlled by how it was uh, being in that house, the, uh, what the proportions were. I just felt so comfortable. It was like a womb. So I feel comfortable by sizes which are defined, I think, by uh, the dimensions of, the, of that house and how, also how people looked in relation to uh, a window, a doorway, or the distance from which I could see them. Uh, across the courtyard or the other, other end of the far end of the house. So that's a good lead-in to the piece in the far room because that, yes, um, yes. you call it Fables from the House of Iban, yes. stage one. one. Yeah. And yeah. you've got the gentleman sitting at the table. Um, yes. So do you want to say something about that? Because you've got the house and you've got this wonderful picture that yes. is painted and then... All of a sudden, it's filled with milk. Yes, yes. And things happen. Um, yes. So, what is Iban? What's that? Uh, but this is this is uh, uh, this is an, uh, this is an inventor. This is an imagined name. So, so that uh, uh, and this, but this is a real family. This is a uh, husband, wife, and child, and it's their house, and. Uh, uh, and st- I write stage one, I could have written theater one, but so it is staged, and, and I don't, uh, didn't want the fact to, to hide the fact that, it, that this, is, this, is, this is an artifact, this is a created, invented thing. And uh, also, by stage one, they could be stage two, so if I think of other metaphorical things, other things happening to the family, then I could create another another story, uh, so it could continue with other events happening in them. The, uh, it seems to have various reference points. Somebody pointed out uh, uh, this in relation to Western art, and I was thinking of Annunciation by Fra Angelico. I, th- I think the, the columns very much uh, would seem like the, the Annunciation painting, and, uh, and that, that's one work I do like very, very much. So, um, the uh, yes, and then here too, I, I could find spaces which look separate and could be individualized 
but still could be woven into a single thread. And it feels a little more cinematic because you've got, you're yes. playing more with distance. Yes, yes. Uh, but, but then also because I came to video or making video, uh, not through, from the history perspective of video art that is involved, but more from my interest in cinema uh, or being more exposed to cinema. So, so the moving image for me has come from, right. from cinema. Because I was very interested to learn that you really have yeah. been an avid um, cineist or... <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. We started a little in my hometown, a film society, where we would, we, we would um, project films on the garage door. But it was an open, op- open, quite an open space, open grounds that the house had. But the garage was close to uh, a little narrow... Uh, road or a path which led to some other distant place. So people on bicycles would s- stop and watch the films as well. So, and, uh, we, so we were on the national circuit of uh, film society, so we'd get those films. Then we could borrow films from, 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 um, from embassies, uh, from, from the cultural wings. So, so this, did see a lot of cinema. Earlier. So this earthiness of like the new Italian cinema or the bicycle thief. Um. Yes, yes. Yes, uh, uh, yes, early cinema from Europe, mm. uh, Italian, yeah. German, French, uh, Kurosawa, Jap- mm-hmm. Japanese, from everywhere. <laughs> Do you still go to cinema a lot? Uh, less so, much, mm-hmm. much less so. Are you still reading a lot? Because you were telling me you read, to, read, you yeah. read a lot of um, Russian Dostoevsky and Tolstoy when you were... That young. was, yes, because my father was very fond of, uh, of, of Russian literature, so that was the first work I was introduced to, um, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. And uh, then uh, another uncle, the uncle who told uh, short stories, uh, he, 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 would, he introduced me to short stories like Maupassant or... Uh, uh, stories by Charles Dickens and so on. Um, and then um, uh, there were people who were older when I was in the city, much, much older, like my father's age, who uh, introduced me to an incredible uh, variety of, of writers. Uh, but that's, you know, uh, some, something which known to all of us, like Kafka and uh, the German writers, but even some. Uh, Chinese writers uh, mm. and so on. Interesting. So, so this is, yeah, and then gradually taking hold of Proust and spending time reading that, or something like Man Without Qualities, uh, mm. books which took me years to finish. Mm. Yeah, yes. but, but I didn't read that much once I left my hometown, uh-huh. where, where I thought I would be. I th- once when I went to England, I th- and I was at the Royal College. I thought, gosh, I'm in England, so I'll be reading a great, great deal. And no, it all reading was gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're reading very, very little. So I was talking to one of my professors, saying that, uh, you know, that I'm disturbed by the fact I can't read here. I thought I would be reading much more. Uh, because I think it's also to do with the, how I was pacing. But it was a very, very slow pace in, in the small town where I went to school. So all you did was to come back from school and you could sit with a glass of milk and read a book outside mm-hmm. on the open ground mm. or, or you could sit under a tree and read a book and, uh, because that pace wasn't there 
I didn't belong to a culture who could uh, who would find any little time and read it. I made time for reading. And uh, we, so, yes, so the professor said, well, he said, my dear, there's not very much you need to worry about because there are only 10 great books I've written. Rest of it is commentary. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so he did give me names of three, three books. He said he won't give, you, give me the names of all 10. <laughs> he probably maybe had read them. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting, you said that um, Fables from the House of Iban um, was commissioned by the Kushi Foundation, Yes, which yes. sounded interesting that this foundation does a benefit once a year, commissions work, and it yes. founds schools, and that it's a former cricket player. <laughs> yes, a uh, cricket player, and also uh, the other friends who... Uh, People who uh, they uh, they renovate old castles and forts, um, and uh, so yes, so it, uh, they they uh, the Kushi Foundation does wonderful work with uh, mobile hospitals and they adopt villages, and they came up with the idea that they'll be able to. Um, get more price at um, auctions if they uh, have artists collaborate with uh, celebrities. And uh, so, uh, so celebrities would come and sign the painting. So you got, uh, with little mark on the painting, so you, you would get two for the price of one. But in case of Atul, Atul got the entire Indian cricket team to sign. <laughs> <laughs> You know, who could afford 10 cricketers, 10 celebrities? That's funny. So one of your other recent works that we can't see unless we go to Chicago is um, uh, based around Primo Levi's poem, Schema. And it's in the museum, um, Chicago's Spiritus Institute. Yes, it's it's it's, it's uh, uh, Spertz Institute or Institute of Jewish Studies, and part of that is a Jewish museum. So the Jewish museum uh, commissioned me to do a work on the uh, on the Holocaust to make a Holocaust memorial. And it sounds like physically it's very different from these works. Uh, you have to not s- not that very. I'll, what it is, it's uh, it's uh, that. Two projections, but I've made earlier work with multiple projections as well. So these are two projections, and the work is viewed from far, and it's on the ninth floor. Uh, so one is projection of painting, the other is projection just behind and above it is projection on a blank screen, uh, which was originally was meant to be a transparent screen through which you could see the point where. Uh, you see Michigan Lake, where Michigan Lake meets the sky. Hmm. So in the bottom painting screen is a painting of a girl who's having, a little girl who's having her hair braided by her mother. And from time to time, she leaves her painted body, her painted self, and visits moments uh, of past or imagined moments uh, in the transparent 
screen, so it was supposed to be ethereal and you could see through it, but it didn't technically work out, but now it's uh, just a blank screen, but, but there's a panoramic view of the lake and the sky, and it's just that, so it still helps a little bit to, to have the lake lake and the sky, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's similar in that sense. Yes, uh, I, I, uh, I was hesitant to, to take on the commission. Uh, also, I thought maybe it was not necessary today to make a Holocaust museum, uh, a Holocaust memorial, uh, and because there are a number of other, although this was a major event where large, such a large number of people suffered horrendously, but there are people we're suffering today, so there are little holocausts of other kinds happening today, and uh, it's necessary to to uh, reflect on on these events. And so I uh, suggested that we could work on this project if we can shift the uh, the, the very Jewish-centric relationship to the Holocaust. And, and they agreed. So, um, so the, the, the work that I made, which is again video and painting, does not have uh, any U- reference to Euro- Europe or European culture or to, uh, or to Jewish culture. Um, but it has a voiceover, uh, which is an oral testament uh, by an inmate, former inmate from, from Auschwitz, who talks about uh, the job he was given above the ovens to sort out wool. So bagfuls would arrive, which would say merino wool or wool from um, New Zealand or wherever, and they had to sort it out. And one day bags arrived which said uh, human hair. And as he was sorting those out, he there were braids of little girls and which were decorated. So it, it was very touching because a mother would have so, so lovingly braided little girls' hair with little decorations. And uh, so, so we thought we would use this, but then the girl that we would, we would show would not be a Jewish girl or would not be a European girl. It's another girl. So it's not... So we didn't translate it, but, this is the, but, but there are other things happening, which is the little girl, when she leaves her painted, painted body to visit the other screen, the other space, there she does things which ordinary girls do. So there's nothing, again, uh, nothing big happens, nothing major happens. She does little things which happen. She may hurt her knee doing something. Uh, or, 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 uh, or she may look at boys who can run faster than she can and she would like to outrace them. So things of that kind of, she gets frightened by something, or moments of immense affection, that sort of thing. And then she comes back and inhabits her body again and gets her hair braided <laughs> by her mother. That's interesting. Um, obviously, in choosing you, they knew, yeah. you know... Um, mm-hmm. 
that you would open it up for, um, you know, chose you for a reason. <laughs> I thought it was brave. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. So the idea of memory yeah. and um, yes. something very universal. And in all of your work, there's the daily life, but you're taking it and turning it into this very poetic realm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Making it monumental. I don't know. Should we open it up for a few yes, questions? Yes, 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 yes. I could go on, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a great opportunity to ask Rambir. Um. Red here. Hi. Um, I was thinking uh, when you when you were talking about the. The Mountain of Mirrors, uh, certainly thinking of Jorge, Luis Borges. And, uh, sorry, we have to come again. I'm sorry, uh, Borges, uh, the Argentinian writer, no, novel. Borges. Borges, yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, The Labyrinths, of course. Right. Uh, yes. and, and then sort of, and once again, and perhaps looking at Borges through Rushdie, I was thinking of the, the work Shame, Right. Uh, partly because of your sort of nostalgic remembrances of this yeah. you know, sheltered life in a, yes. a large house. Yes. Um, because partly that as a story, um, in terms of my, myself as a viewer approaching the work, the story functions um, purely as a way in which I can approach the metaphor um, as some kind of uh, background tapestry or something that hmm. would allow me into the work. And whereas, whereas Rushdie uses this sort of metaphorical house as a way to sort of construct a politicized, um, sheltered sort of space from which this hmm. protagonist emerges, yeah. Yeah. I, wonder, um, I wonder what exactly it does in, in your work hmm. um, Apart from a certain kind of nostalgic yeah. uh, quality, I mean, what, what other kinds of... Uh, yeah either philosophical or political uh, yeah. metaphors can emerge from this. Yeah, space. well, uh, you know, uh, I, do, I do not insert any, uh, you know, with, with, with any one in, intention. Uh, you know, if, one, if, if something can be read or if something can't be found, then, you know, that's how it is. Uh, but I uh, only work with the uh, the whole intensity of of an experience, of what other you know dimensions it may carry. I I I, I do not uh, insert uh, a dimension which may be you know obviously uh, political. In that sense, uh, but say, but in a work like uh, uh, he was a good man. Uh, he very obviously is is a working class man, and then the the few reference points one sees behind him there there is uh, uh, well, I was thinking of people who and he the same was with this carpenter. He had come from another state. And he was living in the city far away from home. So probably he would be mending. If this is one meaning we, or we read into 
threading of the needle, apart from other possible readings, metaphorical or psychological dimensions which this can carry of trying to thread a needle, uh, is simply uh, in a mending a torn shirt. And, he, and a man would be doing that if he's in India, uh, belonging to this class of people, or to a working class, would, would have his wife do it or somebody. So he's obviously away. And the other signs, the sign of uh, the, uh, a peacock, or a, which, which again is, would be like a remembrance of, of a countryside or of a village. And for, so it, those were the things which were coming to my mind when I thought that I will give him one kind of life. Because before the earlier work, nine years ago, the same man just sat in one space. He, from moment to moment, he had all these twitches and things, but which, which, or heavy breathing, which would happen to him when he heard the peacock, or uh, he uh, heard a train go by, or he heard uh, a police siren. Uh, so in that sense, there is a reflection on... On, on, his, uh, on the life he's leading. And then he does disappear as well. You know, the, the video image which gives him breath. And I've made him black and white. He gets a color only when the video is, is there. And that's when he breathes and is able to move. So we can read something of a social comment on that. And once he's gone, there are people who very briefly say he was a good man. Not much else. <laughs> Could I briefly ask a follow-up question? I, I, Certainly. I, also, uh, I was, uh, again, interested in this word event that you use. And, um, yes. Uh, certainly, I think of it partly in relation to Alain Badu uses the word event uh, to talk about the way in which uh, we can sort of think of a rupturing in time um, that, um, that then creates a certain, uh, a certain departure from a path we're moving in a certain path, whether it's political, social, uh, personal, and then something happens which then der derails us. Um, and so I'm thinking of the word event and uh, wondering what, where you might place it because it seems like there's two things. There's the one event that's yeah. the, the, the sort of the everyday, the kind of uh, anything that might happen every day, really. Yes. And then yes. there's another kind of event that you seem to refer to, especially with the Auschwitz piece, yes. that might be an event with a capital E. Yes. That's, uh, yeah. Um, yes. I, th I think I, I use, use it in a, in a very loose way. Yes, but for me, uh, but I'm also talking of uh, uh, a pictorial event, a cinematic event, and that event would itself carry a potency to contain a lot within it. So this is, this is uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. May I? Sorry. Seriously. It's a bit of a follow-up from the previous question, but um, well, several things. Um, for example, Shahid Amin in, your, in Delhi uh, writes about event metaphor memory, right? Um, so, I mean, the, the thing for me that's uh, kind of present under the surface is perhaps... Uh, the question about whether whether you've ever considered using archival images, for example. Uh, no, I, I uh, yeah, sorry. And, and yes. perhaps what does that mean in the construction of or reconstruction yeah. of an event and whether yes. the archival image, for example, a photograph in your house would yes. offer a way yes. of working with kind of a shared memory or a material memory rather than purely your own 
memory. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, go on. Sorry. No. <laughs> and and yes. for me, I mean, it's also related to the kind of act of shooting the video event, if hmm. you like, which is for me always, in a sense, uh, a kind of moment between selves and others, and yes. you know, people shooting and people being recorded. Yes, yes. And I'm yes. trying to see where uh, the yes. strategy of kind of shooting things yeah. uh, and placing well, them perhaps in a historical time period. Yes. Whether it would be almost as effective to use found material yeah. or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what I what I'm most comfortable with is if I uh, I don't know how exactly to describe it, but there. There is, there is a, s a specificity uh, which I like about, uh, or, or I can relate to, or I can work with. Uh, uh, and maybe I'll try it later to <laughs> describe, if I can, what I mean by this. But then there is a specificity which may be historical, and, uh, or, or which may belong, or which may be spatial, may belong, or temporal, may belong to one time, or one space. Uh, I do not want to use that because I would. I want to take out that specificity. I, so the event that I'm using may touch more lives, or or or, or, or may connect uh, to other times. So so I do do in fact try to do away if I can with with the with this with with one specific uh, moment. Also because I think. Uh, that's for me. Um, an understanding of one historical moment can be done with so much more clarity and in-depth with the written word. So, and I don't think I can, you know, uh, do complete justice, or I do not have the tools uh, to do complete justice to, to uh, any historical moment. But I can do hopefully justice with little things which happen to humans. You know, like, like somebody tripping over and falling, something like that. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah. I, yeah. Just to, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I don't necessarily agree that the archival image represents just that one moment. I mean, the entire contemporary project of archives and mm -hmm. their reconstitution as bodies of knowledge is yeah. about, you know, uh, letting them uh, have other lives, as you said, in a yeah. sense as well. Yes, yes. So yeah. uh, the fact that you perhaps use found material does not necessarily lock it into its own time either. Yeah, I agree with right. you. Yes. So, yes. Anyway, yes. thanks. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. Well, it's it's uh, only because it was available, yeah. so I used it. You know, it's it's like like finding finding a box of colors. If I'm working with a pencil, then I say, oh, I can do something with this. So it was it was as simple as that. But the the uh, uh, but 
to arrive at a... Uh, you know, I, I do not want to use the word language because that's too... I will not be able to defend myself, but but if I, for the moment, under erasure, if I use the term, that to uh, possibly arrive at uh, another voice or language uh, with which I can uh, reach other spaces, uh, which I may not be spaces of experience, which I may not be able to re- reach just with painting alone, or with video alone, or with cinema alone, I. I have to go back a little bit. There is my interest in painting. I look at painting, I enjoy looking at painting, I enjoy doing it as well. And then there's my interest uh, in, in cinema very much. Uh, and, and I look very closely at these things. The, there is a physical presence of a painting interests me, a physical encounter with it rather than its reproduction because of its thingness, it's there. And so it has a different presence. And then there is an image made of light, uh, be it a, a photograph or be uh, it a cinema projection or a video projection. Then this has a different aura of a presence. And it did interest me, uh, it intrigued me to find out what would happen if I placed one exactly on top of the other. Would a third thing, would I arrive at a third thing? And if I do arrive at the third thing, then I can make, use that as, as part of a vocabulary. I can use that as a tool to, to say other things, which it does not make it better than pure painting or pure cinema, or what, but it would allow me probably to explore other, other areas of, of, of experience and may possibly touch, stir something which I may not be able to stir uh, using those separate mediums, singly. Yeah, yeah pleasure. Yes. Chrisanne? Um, when I see your works, one of the effects that I notice that happens inside me, it's, it, it's the same effect I have when I read a poem. Mm-hmm. You know, that I really, really enjoy, where... It's down to the details of a moment, of a table, Mm -hmm. of the glass being poured, of the mindfulness, of the little boy walking out, sort of almost (laughs) bow-legged. And um, I'm curious because I think it's it's, it's, um, very sublime for me because Mm -hmm. it's almost the having the effect of reminding me of something very literary. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about do you have a relationship with poetry? Uh, do you have any favorite poems? I'm just sort of curious about that. Because of... Yes, yes. Uh, I will not be f- able to think of a favorite poem, okay. yes. Kind as I can't awesome. think of a favorite painting as yes. well. Uh, but I think all this derives from, from everything, from literature, from other cinema, from history of art itself, uh, and from lived life uh, of, of, of the fact of how, 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 I, how sensibilities are formed, yes. uh, I think, with all of us. Um, yes, yeah, so it was formed by my family around me. It was formed by the rhythms of the house 
by the rhythms of the... Uh, and also because so little happened yeah. in the house, so everything was very, very acute. Uh, the, I remember, as a little child, a floor was being made, a cement floor in a, in a, in a large uh, part of the, of the house. And, uh, and I stood fascinated as a little boy, seeing how cement was drying, and it was taking on different patterns. And then I saw something glistening far away, and I went close to it. It was a little glass which had got embedded in the cement, and it went very close to it. I couldn't see very much, but I could feel something as I fluttered. You know, my, I could see my uh, eyelashes as I closed and opened my eyes. And then in the house was a large mirror, and I could see my complete body in that. I was fascinated by two of these mirrors, one embedded in the floor and one over there. So there's little things which engaged, engaged me, engrossed me entirely. And then... With, with movement. I think it can only happen when there's nothing else happening. I remember uh, it was evening. I was standing in, in one part of the house, and it started to drizzle. And so there was a bit of a haze formed in, uh, of the drizzle, and, and far away, and the, drain, and the rain got a bit heavier. And uh, I... And there were doors, rooms and doors on the, on the further side, but this is on, on, on the first floor, uh, around a courtyard. And uh, I, I, I could smell something, and it was the smell of roasted uh, corn on the cob. <laughs> and then, uh, very slowly, I could make out my uncle, not hurrying away from the rain, but having this wet corn on the cob as he came very <laughs> close to me. So for me, that was a big, huge event yeah. thing. <laughs> so, the, the, so everything got hugely intensified. Yes. Uh, this yes. reminds me of... Uh, last night I was talking to someone about memories or sensations you have up until the age of about five or six years yes. old. Yes. And thinking to yourself when you're that age, I'm never going to forget this. I'm never going to forget this. And then yeah. you forget it. You yeah. can't get... But you seem to be able to hold on to that. I, th I think nothing happened to me after the age of five. Well, I really envy you. <laughs> because I have yes. a memory of that yeah. feeling, but it's very hard to yeah. I have it back. You know, I, sometimes I'm not too sure if I have all those memories, if they're real, because they can't be confirmed. My parents have forgotten these things. <laughs> uh, I remember things. With, I would ask my mother, you remember that? She said, no. So they had the things. <laughs> I, I remember uh, she so I asked, did you always sit here? She said, yes, I used to sit here and, you know, with my sewing machine. But I remember... Uh, and time was very, very slow. For instance, she would... Uh, she sat under a veranda with, again, on the terrace, but there's a little veranda. She brought her uh, sewing machine, the one, the pedal one. So she would sit in the shade, but the top end of the, uh, of the veranda cast a very sharp edge. Uh, so I was wondering, amazed by the strong sunlight and the deep shadow. But then as the sun moved, the... Uh, the sewing machine became visible, and it stretched and stretched, and I was absolutely fascinated by the, 
by the long uh, you know, uh, shadow of the, of the machine. Now, nobody can confirm that for me. <laughs> but, but yes, I have, I have these memories. But something which I think probably can be dated is uh, when the... I don't know if you can probably date it, but my uncle once said, well, they were talking about the atomic bomb and how you know, dreadful it is. So I asked him what happens when, the, when, when there is an atomic bomb. And he said, well, the sky turns red. And then the, uh, we had a high wall, again, a gray cemented wall. And, and there was nothing to look beyond that, just the sky. So in the evening, I would always look at this blueness turning into orange and red. And I would think that far away, there's a war <laughs> somewhere. Uh, but it was very, very beautiful, too. And I think, uh, apart from seeing it in cinema, but when I change from color to black and white to color, when I edit films that way, I, I always think of this gray wall and the... Um, and the sky taking on different colors. And sometimes the sky would take on green color if the light would shine on the foliage and the trees below. There would be a greenish tinge, and then we would have this redness. And then it would all turn very inky blue, uh, where it would totally merge with the gray wall. So that's... Uh... Oh, I don't know if I'm making any sense, sorry. It's went on with the... Uh... Yeah. Oh, yes, trying to confirm memories. That's what we were talking about. Yes. 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 Um, yes. No, I was saying that, uh, remember, during, in late 70s, when yes. we were at Jesus School of Art in Bombay. Yes. And uh, I think uh, the only young, important, major painter was Ranbir Singh Kaleka in New Delhi, you know, uh, because otherwise the rest of the artists were all senior artists or established or well-known, but you were the artists, we were kind of, you know, we would talk, and, but we never saw your paintings. We saw few reproductions, one or two, that's it. And uh, then I think you left for London. And uh, so I think what memory I have of your paintings are very few, mm -hmm. very few yeah. paintings, mm -hmm. and um, but always loved your paintings, mm -hmm. even the works which uh, we saw at Venice and then Shanghai, mm -hmm. you know those large four, five canvases. Yeah, even the men uh, threading a needle. Mm -hmm. When this video is not on, mm -hmm. I very carefully go near the paintings and try to see how you have rendered the images. I so I really feel that, uh, mm -hmm. I mean. Uh, you know, enjoy your paintings mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, the mm -hmm. video works are superb. Mm -hmm. So do you still kind of conceive uh, works as a uh, pure painting? Or is it uh, just uh, yeah. kind of you, know, you conceive in terms of video work? Yeah, I, I, I continue to paint. So, and I will be bringing something hopefully in September to the gallery. That's going to be painted. Great. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, but something else about the early paintings. I was, I've been talking of very spare spaces, empty spaces, uh, when I was growing up. But my paintings were extremely busy and uh, 
uh, dense and very, very people. I know, uh, quite uh, surreal qualities and yes. uh, also kind of an element of erotic, yeah. which I noticed. Yeah. So I'm quite curious about the stories of the Masons. <laughs> you, you, you have to tell me. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'll tell you some of this. <laughs> so has the video influenced the recent painting? Yes, I, I, I think so. Yes, yes. As cinema always has. Mm-hmm. But working with actual light has. And also then, while I'm working on on the painting, I can absorb light in certain areas. You know, I can highlight in other areas. So, so it's really like sculpting with light. It's, it's, uh, um, you can mold it. You can alter the quality of light. You can make light bounce back at you through thinner layers, like stained glass window. You can absorb it. You can make it matte. It's, uh, you can cut off an edge. It's, uh, you can give a gradient to the light which is not there uh, in the actual video. Do you keep several projects going at once? Or do you... It's, uh, it's, usually, it's just w- usually one. one at a time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I used to do just one painting a year. And sometimes even one painting in three years. It would take that long. Uh, so that wasn't very much to see ever. <laughs> yes. And this is probably because um, um, when I was very little, I would draw on the walls uh, with the charcoal. And um, I, I don't know if they were very special, but my parents thought they were very special, as every father, mother does about their child. And uh, so they decided that they were going to send me to art school. They said, you're going to be an artist when you grow up, and we'll send you to an art school. So that was it. So there was no ambition left. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't have to prove myself. I didn't have to paint many images. I didn't have to fight against anything. So... I was content to do just one painting. There was a question in the back. Yeah. Um, yes. I was curious to know, you know, I've been looking at uh, your yeah. work as I've been listening at the same time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, that the idea you, and you've been talking a lot about reflection and mirrors a yes. lot. And, yes. he, and as I sort of been looking at the work, the idea of reflection hmm. seems to be quite, uh, sort of important in the work and the idea of sort of moving in the space from something to nothing and then coming yes. back. And, um, you know, some of the ideas that come to mind are, you know, the concept of maya, which means illusion mm-hmm. in sort of Hinduism, Buddhism, and another sort of Eastern thought. I was just wondering if you, maybe you could, I don't know if I'm reading too much or if you could maybe oh, you yeah. know, shed some light yes. on some of the idea of reflection and, and mirrors and yes. things like that. Reflections have fascinated me right from the time I saw my eyelashes flutter in this little piece in the cement. Um, uh, but I think it's more also... I've been thinking about it myself, why mirrors uh, fascinate me, why reflections fascinate me. Um, the, uh, I was talking about this very protected life which I led, but also it meant not knowing enough about the world, not knowing enough about other people, so I could never, uh, I don't think I'm a good judge now, but maybe people can't be judged, but I never could fix a person as being one thing or the other. So then what interested me were reflections. So, so pro- probably that's how, uh, um, so I couldn't say this is it, but I felt more comfortable by creating reflections of one thing. 
Thank you. It's interesting that you, you, you just mentioned something about fixing a person and yes. uh, not being able to. And um, uh, two minutes ago, when, when you were talking about paintings and your earlier paintings being very busy and people, to me, um, in these works especially, it, what strikes me is the fact that the painted image does become that point of still departure and return, and that you talked about, um, when you were talking about the work in Chicago, this leaving the body and returning to the body, <laughs> and um, the notion of the girl in leaving her painted self and then returning to that, and um, you constantly bring, refer back to your own childhood, very early childhood, in this you know, return of this fable um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, this, 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 these, these become your fables in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and you, when, when, you, when you spoke now about this inability to um, uh, uh, know what, what to locate and fix a person, yeah. do you find that in your works, where, when you're combining the painted image with the video, mm-hmm. that for you the painted image still manages to kind of bring things full circle or um, you know becomes that point of uh, departure and return that that place from where the mm-hmm. stillness mm-hmm. shifts and into movement uh, possibly that's where I'm more comfortable with it yes it, it because it, it is one thing then suddenly it's another as well it, it requires another characteristic so uh, where where it's not fixed again. A rootedness of sort. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, may I ask one uh, question? The, uh, yes. Uh, you know, th- there's been a lot of writing of uh, Thomas McEvely in uh, his Common Air article many years ago in Art Forum uh, had um, uh, raised issues of uh, that Indian painting, perhaps uh, ancient and also contemporary Indian painting, had a lot to do with uh, uh, with pictorial space, and it was one of the unique elements, uh, perhaps, in contemporary Indian painting. And then there's been a lot of discussion about the narrative in in Indian painting uh, as being uh, critically important as a thread. Uh, and it seems that this little box that you found of uh, additional tools uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, has a kind of seminal impact and f- fundamentally alters both of those two things, uh, pictorial space uh, as well as narrative. Uh, and the application of the magic in the box uh, onto the pigments that you use in painting has dramatic impact on both of those spheres. But uh, since uh, invention seems to be a process that you start from somewhere and go to somewhere else, I wonder uh, what was it that drew you to that box uh, in the first place? Was it the pictorial space alteration or was it the narrative uh, um, addition? Yeah, well, the, the, I think my paintings did carry the element of the narrative. Uh, but with the, with, the, uh, with the narrative, which is possible with the moving image, is of a different kind. Um, but they retain, I think, something, although I can do much more when I have both, both of these things to play with, uh, because the, even a still image of man threading a needle. In fact, that's a painting I did do 
in the late 70s of, of, of a man threading a needle, so, which was just a painting. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, a man who's wearing, wearing a vest and is pockmarked, uh, there is certain history on the face of the man, and he's threading a needle. It itself carries possibilities of, of the narrative. And then with... Uh, uh, one, when I use the moving image, then certainly it just en- enriches the possibilities of, of the narrative. Indeed. Uh, uh. Anyone else? Great. Barbara, any uh, final comments? So many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> You've been taking notes, so I know. Yeah, no, I'm like, I got these ideas. Yeah, no, just thinking. Um, yeah, so what's next? <laughs> <laughs> you have one? Um, yes, well, I was thinking of, uh, there were quite a few things. Um, um, uh, I was thinking of, the 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 um, um, of that we view the the moving image um, in a sitting position, and the image moves, but it moves affixed to a wall, or in this case, on a uh, on a on an easel. Um, I've been thinking of making the the screens move. Hmm. Uh, what would happen if? You know, so, so the things of that kind, if the moving, uh, the the, if you're surrounded by screens which move around you, but within that there are uh, moving images as well. What are the possibilities? What, what is it that I can make with that? Those kinds of things. This, of other sculptural elements, uh, working with those, and. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, yes. it's such a fascinating moment. Um, I mean, every moment we're alive is amazing, but, um, you know, with technology, it keeps changing. And um, I was just in California to see a show, and it was a very young curator who had put it together, and it was a history of California video. And thinking, no curator of my generation would have done the last room with, like, five pieces all together by different artists. <laughs> and one was silent. And But I was thinking... Um, that we receive so many images, we're online, um, so um, I would imagine there's lots of change. <laughs> yeah, indeed, and, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Scale, um, mm-hmm. I can't see you doing something for an iPod, but maybe you would. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe you'll surprise me in <laughs> both pages. Yeah. But, uh, so. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. you.